0: Welcome to Madam's Hoes and Gigolos, a podcast about the history of sex work and historical events surrounding sexual revolutions. I'm your host, Heather, and with me are my friends, Connor and Anthony, and a special guest, Bernie Bregman.
1: Bernie Bregman has been producing events since 2010, starting with the 35th anniversary Rocky Horror Convention, working with executive producer Lou Adler. Since then, Bernie has worked with several entertainment giants, such as Fox, MGN and Marvel to name a few. He's produced major events from rap parties to full conventions, screenings to film festivals, and concerts to masquerades. Bernie has worked with rock and roll hall of famers such as Run DMC and the Black Eyed Peas, Red Man, Slick Rick, and Flava Flave on events like the Los Angeles Comic Con Cosplay Ball and events at San Diego Comic Con. In 2017, he produced Stan Lee's 95th birthday celebration at Stark Mansion in Hollywood. Bernie has cemented his role in pop culture landscape and we're thrilled to have him as our guest today. Yeah, welcome, Bernie. What's going on, guys?
0: Wow, that is quite an impressive resume you have.
2: Well, you know, we were putting together a website, so I had to like do all that stuff.
3: <laughs> yeah, but that's just, that's just an abbreviated one. Bernie's always doing cool stuff. And if you if you Google him, he's got the coolest cosplay costumes ever.
0: How long have you been in the business?
2: um so i guess i mean it's, it depends if you count rocky horror as entertainment and cosplay but kind of the doors that that opened so i actually come from an entertainment industry family um, my great-grandfather was jack haley who was the tin man in the wizard of oz uh, my great-uncle jack jr produced uh ripley's believe it or not and that's entertainment and stuff um and uh you know just slowly but surely the call kind of tugged at me and, and rocky horror was uh was that outlet for a while and then cosplay came along um, and I saw that there was uh, a lot of opportunity in cosplay uh, and conventions and things like that to to take them from counterculture and subculture into mainstream um, and and stuff that was missing that they they deserve to have stuff like you know kind of uh, fandom nightlife is something that I've innovated um, and just uh, you know more more engaging hosting at events and not just like you know the the person that's a walking almanac of a subject but people that are going to make it entertaining and fun. Um And uh, you know haven't looked back since so a uh, lot of fun stuff. I got to work with Stan the man. That was awesome Um And uh, a couple other really cool people along the way. It's been great
3: Yeah, so I, I've I met Bernie probably in like 1997, which was like my first time Going to see Rocky Horror at the new art and I think that's kind of uh, when Bernie was getting started with uh, doing the different characters and You became cast leader around that time, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, so
2: I took a um, an active role in the cast in 1997 um, and then started kind of working up, um, uh, taking on more responsibilities. And then I took over leadership of the cast. I want to say it was 2001, 2, uh, something It's long time ago, guys. Yeah, that's almost <laughs> um, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. But I uh, ran the cast for the better part of the uh, the first decade of the 2000s. Um, produced the 35th anniversary convention in 2010. um, And yeah, did did about as much as one can do in the Rocky Horror community.
3: Yeah, so for those who don't know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is the longest running theatrical release in film history. And it established itself as a cult classic with over 46 years of midnight screenings. It's not a great movie, if you ask me, but going to see it live (laughs) in a theater is a lot of fun. And my very first time, I'll never forget it, um for some reason my friends decided that's going to be the time that, that we go to see it and it happened to be somebody else's uh 400th time it was a guy named marty who was at the, uh. the new art cast <laughs> do you remember his 400th time i do
2: and i remember the uh 40 pounds of rice that we dumped
3: yeah on people that yeah. night yeah. yeah so he bought uh he bought 40 pounds of rice and like 400 uh uh, tortillas and toilet paper rolls and everything—it was just this big celebration—and I've done it so many times since then, probably like eighty times in a theater, and it's never lived up to that first time.
2: Well, so. uh,
1: well, first of all, um, how many times have have you seen it, Bernie?
2: <laughs> I definitely stopped counting. Um, it was so not only did I do the the New Art theater literally just about every week for. Fifteen years, right? That was every um, Saturday.
3: Uh, that was called "Sins of yep. the Flesh." That was the name of the the cast there. So that was every Saturday. Yep. In, uh, and they LA. are still
2: going strong. Um, but additionally, from ninety, late ninety seven or, or early ninety eight, uh, a cast popped up at the Topanga Theater, um, which is long gone. Uh, they were called Wild and Untamed Things, and um, it was a Friday night show, so I could double duty, and it was a Cass kind of put together some people from Sins, some people from Midnight Insanity, which was the Long Beach show. Um, and it was a place where, like, everyone got to kind of flex a different muscle and do something they didn't do at their home show. Um, and so I was uh, Brad every week at Sins, and then I would come over on on the Fridays, and I'd host the pre-show and play Eddie and Riff and all, you know, kind of get to play around with the other characters. It was a lot of fun. Um, and that was, I don't know, a good, a good four years of, of doing double duty almost every week like that wow. was my social life right which means so, that you're seeing
3: it you know, basically a hundred times a year yeah. and
2: so in a four-year span and then 50 times a year you know for a good other uh 10 11 years so it's a lot of rocky horror
1: yeah so it's, yeah and then, it, then connor you've seen it 80 times uh,
3: somewhere between 50 and 100 i'm guess, just guessing 80 but i think bernie's probably closer to like 800 to a thousand
1: i've seen it twice Okay. Once once at the new art and, and once on video. Oh, and it's, two different experiences. It's not completely. the same watching it on video <laughs> on your phone. And Heather's seen it zero times. So was we're gonna, all over the spectrum I was going
0: to say, I'm going to say something I've never said in a lot of years. I'm a virgin.
3: Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to uh, maybe yeah, bring you out, let you experience the uh, the magic that is Rocky Horror.
0: Well, you and,
2: know, and, and again, it's, it's so... funny, you, you you said something, Connor, that the, the watching on your phone, I can't, thinking about like how everything's evolved technology and the way we stream and and consume content. I can't imagine somebody's first Rocky horror experience being on their freaking cell phone or tablet. Like right? it That's... just flies in the face of all of my, <laughs> my,
1: you know, decades of sensibilities around Rocky horror. Well, like Connor said, um, you know, he said, it's not a, it's not a great movie, um, but, and I, I agree with that, having watched it on video, but I, I went to the, I went and saw the, the live performance and, and movie at the New Art first, and then I watched it again at home. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a different experience completely. So, you know, I, the, the experience of it is fantastic. It's one of the funnest nights I ever had in my life. Watching it in, in my room one night, like near Halloween, it was like, oh, what, I should be watching something else. At this moment, but yeah. like, what do you think about it, Bernie? You're like, as cinema not not as you know the fun you know being involved right. in the cast and, and having all the fun it's and complete the trash you don't even need to do the setup it's complete trash
2: it is a bad movie that's what i was, that's what I was going is, for thank you uh, there's there's not much of a plot to speak of it's a musical so you know you didn't really need the plot anyway um it's just like a mechanism to get you to your next song but it's got great music and you know it, it the the beauty of rocky is is what it meant to people and their development as a human being um, especially their sexuality in a lot of good ways, but also some bad ways, you know, and and the community that it created. It, it was it was a land of misfit toys. It was the place where the unaccepted were accepted. Um, and that was its true
3: value, not <laughs> not whatever was going on in celluloid. Right. Well, let's let's talk about the, the movie as a movie. Before that, the year before that, there were all kinds of movies that were released in theaters, right? There was Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, The Godfather 2, Chinatown, Towering Inferno. So these were like some big movies, right? 1975, Jaws was like the highest grossing film. Best Mm -hmm. Picture that year was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, French Connection 2 came out. So yeah, these were like big, big movies. And all of a sudden comes like Rocky Horror.
1: And, I've seen every one of those movies on that list except for Towering Inferno. Oh, by the way, well, you've seen some really good movies then. Indeed,
3: the the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, was actually based on a musical. Did you guys know that? Like on a Broadway. Type I actually
0: of, didn't know that.
3: Yeah, it was, it was called the Rocky Horror Show, and it was written in 1973 by a guy named Richard O'Brien, who was an actor. He was out of work. He wanted to keep himself busy, and uh, he wanted to create a like a humorous tribute to the science fiction and horror B-movies of the 1930s through the the early 1960s. And so Rocky Horror Picture Show is kind of a parody, right? Like it's designed to be campy. It's got some really cheesy effects, I think intentionally, and like the props and the costumes, which is weird that it's, it's become like a cult classic of people like, if you guys have ever seen Mystery Science Theater 3000, It's fun to make fun of something that takes itself seriously. But Rocky Horror Picture Show- They get
2: that from Rocky Horror though. That's where MST3K comes from. That's the inception of it. Right, but Rocky Um,
3: Horror Picture Show is, it's a funny, campy film to begin with. So it's like, they're not, they never took themselves too seriously. So you're kind of making fun of someone who's already making fun of themselves.
2: Well, don't tell that to Susan Sarandon. I'm pretty sure that she thought she was making art. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sure she I should. literally just
0: Googled Susan Sarandon because I remember hearing something about her not being happy with it or her having an issue with Rocky Horror. It was like a big break. Nah.
2: Well, I mean, it, it was not a fun filming uh, experience for anyone. It was super cold and they're wet and, you know, they're filming in this dingy ass old castle. Yeah. Um which is a beautiful it's a kind of a running joke meme in the Rocky community is did you know that you can stay in the Rocky Horror Castle as a hotel now? Um cuz we all knew the second they announced that. Um but yeah, you uh, you can go to that castle now, but back then it didn't it wasn't you know the beautiful place it is now. It was not an amazingly fun experience for them, but her much has been made of like Susan doesn't like that or whatever. I think it just gets caught up in like her activism and being a little, little highfalutin and stuff. And she stopped going to the conventions just because she's like, yeah, you know, great. I did that thing, but I've also done all these other things, by the way, I have an Academy Award.
3: Anyone? No. Okay. Yeah, she's I mean, maybe it's something that she'd like to forget. But, you know, it was something that helped launch her, her career a little.
1: bit. It's her. And, and then, of course, you know, the, the great Tim Curry. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, those are two I you were going to say the great Barry Bostwick. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, one, no, one's ever said. I was Nate about Lowe's, to say, but... wait, what about Barry
0: Bostwick? <laughs> uh,
3: you know, the only thing I know him from is a uh, TV commercial that came on like maybe fifteen years ago. Yeah, where they're like, yep. uh, they have said something about Barry Bostwick. And then there was like, well, who's Barry Bostwick? Like was he just like making fun of himself there?
2: <laughs> well, he was the mayor in Spin City, and that was a that was a pretty good That's run right. for him. He was also the very first Danny Zuko on Broadway in Greece.
3: Oh, did not know that. But, so speaking of these uh, of the Broadway shows, this this show, the Rocky Horror Show, uh, didn't premiere here in the United States. It premiered in London at their uh, West End, like which is their version of Broadway. And it started in the Royal Courts 63-seat uh, theater, moved to then yep. a 230-seat theater at the uh, Chelsea Classic Cinema, and eventually to 500-seat King's Row Theater. So it did really, really well in London. Uh, it won the uh, 1973 Evening Standard Theater Award for Best Musical, and then they brought it to the United States. And I don't think it did as well here, like the, but, but i got to say, I like the music from the Rocky Horror Show. Better than than the film version. It feels like the the Roxy cast. That's the one that I think is. is my oh, favorite. the
2: Roxy cast is excellent, and they they do you know it's just different, right? Like my first exposure was obviously the film, but you know, and listening to the Roxy recordings, and then having gone to see the show live several times uh, in various runs, uh, you know, there's different different ways they run the music and and uh, take some some liberties with the vocals and things, and they it's got a little more rock to it. In the live show,
3: yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. It's it's a little bit more rocky, I guess. No, no pun intended. But uh, so, uh, Bernie, how would you like to tell us the the story of the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Like, let, let's start with the the plot. <laughs>
2: um, you say that there is uh, none, a, but
1: a, you know, a bunch of stuff okay, actually so, happens here. So. so
2: a couple of uh, average American kids just watch their friend's wedding and and they're in love too and yada yada. Um, you know, all-American apple pie kind of, kind of, you know, early twenty-somethings, maybe late teen, whatever. Uh, they uh, catch a flat tire, and they see a castle in the distance, and so they want to just use the phone to call for help for their their, uh, which is a running gag about the phone and the castle doesn't have a phone.
3: Uh, do, do you um, remember where they were headed? Um, uh, I can't remember actually. <laughs> they, they, uh, in in the in that song, "Damn It, Janet," he says, "Let's go see the man who began it."
2: Oh
0: right, they were so they go were visit Doctor Scott. Scott, which just
3: didn't yeah. make any sense that they would go visit their old <laughs> high school teacher.
2: But right again, non nonsensical plot. Right? Whatever gets you to the next song.
1: Right. So, um, I don't know what you guys on, do on your Saturday nights, but sometimes I like to go visit, visit like an old chemistry teacher. You know, I guess right? I am still in touch with my teachers, but you, yeah, you know what's funny is that you actually are. I, I know. know. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: They end up in this castle, and it is the, uh, anna- uh, uh, the anniversary Transylvanian convention. Uh, there's the big banner in the ballroom. Um, and it's also the night that the evil scientist, Dr. Frank N. Furter, uh, is going to give birth to his Frankenstein like perfect man that he's created specifically for sexual gratification, uh, which is the, the character Rocky, um, the, the Rocky horror is the monster, you know, the, the Frankenstein's monster, if you will. And it turns out that, uh, Frank N. Furter is an alien from the planet, uh, transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. Um, and uh, there you go. So, they they wind up in this crazy adventure. You've got Eddie, who is um, uh, Columbia's boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. We're not 100% sure there. And his brain was split in two, in order to help create Rocky horror. So there's a part of Eddie's brain in Rocky. That's what the scar is on, on Eddie's forehead. Oh, um, okay. Before Frank killed yeah, him. I, I didn't even know that. So Brad and Janet get there. They're all sweet and innocent. The the Transylvanians are not innocent in any way, shape, or form. Frank and uh, corrupts both Brad and Janet. And then Janet sleeps with Rocky. She sleeps with everyone that isn't Brad, basically, but that's fine. We're not here to slut shame. Um, and then Brad's discovering some things about himself. He kind of dug uh, getting with Frankenfurter. Um, and then Magenta and Riff Raff are, they're the, the maiden butler. They are like Frankenfurter's right-hand people, but they grow tired of all of his antics and his uh, self-gratification and, and all of that stuff. So they revolt. Um, and then, spoiler alert: they kill Frankenfurter uh, before it's all said and done. They also kill Rocky Horror. Uh, they kill Columbia. I mean, just because she screamed, I thought they liked her. And then, <laughs> and, and, and who else shows up? The whole up for castle this party?
3: blasts off into space at the end. Well, who else showed up before the party ended, though? Oh, Doctor Scott makes uh, an Dr. appearance. Doctor Scott showed
2: up. Yeah, he makes an appearance. He figured the whole thing out. And uh, he was some kind of a rival scientist to Frankenfurter.
3: Right. He, who's also there investigating UFOs for some reason. And by some coincidence, his nephew is Eddie. So it's like this whole thing is like <laughs> they're, they're all tied together. And the whole show ends. With Eddie's like a, big... a
2: delivery boy, right? So, so smarty Dr. Scott and uh, uh, failure delivery boy Eddie. I don't know. Looks like are talking Elvis. About.
1: This plot sounds. It it, it sounds amazing. like a, It's pretty ridiculous, and, and then so
3: the whole thing ends <laughs> with like a big burlesque floor show, and then they've got like a laser battle with like futuristic pitchforks, and and then it starts to get kind of weird with <laughs> yeah, you know pitch turning people into is so good. <laughs> turning people into stone and stuff. So yeah, let's talk about the the, the music because that's obviously going to be the best part of this. The music from the Rocky Horror Picture Show is actually the first thing that I ever heard from it. My dad used to take me when he went to work in the West Hollywood Beverly Hills area. He dropped me off at the library there. And I would like check out CDs and get to listen to stuff. And so I listened to like Dr. Demento CDs. And they had the Rocky Horror Show and the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack. And I got to listen to those. And I feel like I listened to it a lot before I went and saw it in a theater because I thought that we were just going to be singing along with the regular words. And nobody did that. They all sang like different words. Like they had like, very, it was like a Weird out version, but very, very vulgar.
1: The, one of the most like worst moments of, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't. I don't have the script, but it was so much fun. Like people were yelling things at certain times and everybody knew what to do. And I didn't know what to do except for get hit in the head with tortillas. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, magical.
2: Those got nixed in the early 2000s, <laughs> but man, were they fun. <laughs> yeah. You, for, it, no, for no reason, by the way, for no reason, I, no one even knows how it like started. I mean, I'm sure one person does, but you go to the theater and in the, just while you're letting in and you get your popcorn and you sit down, people were throwing tortillas, like flat fricking frisbee tortillas throughout the theater for no it has nothing to do with rocky (laughs) nothing it's just like it became this whole edgy like well what else can we do that you're not supposed to do right like and and but we're all good with it right so so people were flinging tortillas i would literally go to the market and buy a pack of tortillas every week crack them open and just freaking zing them at people for for however and then when that died it, it became a dance party Like we started DJing while people were walking in and and everyone would like get down to their lingerie, underwear, whatever, and dance around on the stage. It was like a little mini like weirdo rave. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs)
1: That was actually going to be my question to you, Bernie. It was like, where did the tortillas come from? But you said they come from nowhere. But I was sitting Nowhere. next. I was sitting next to a guy who was like, who was like a total back in my day kind of guy. He's like, back in my day, it was sliced bread. Like, <laughs> I, so, <laughs> so apparently there was an evolution from like you know Weber's bread to tortillas.
2: There is a, so there's a to, there's there is a uh, traditionally you would throw toast in the theater until you know health codes and stuff started being a thing. Oh, um, is that that and, is that
3: when uh, Frank says uh, 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 a toast? You know, to a toast. Friends? Yes.
2: Uh, yeah, and present enemies, and the Dalmatian that died for Brad's
3: cup. Um,
2: right. I can't. You can't say a line from the movie, and and I and without me going into the callbacks. I was going to ask you if you still remember all the
3: callback lines years later.
2: Okay, so if I the, the thing is is when I have gone back in in recent times, like you know pre pandemic, I stuff just is in there. Like once I hear a word, it just triggers. It's like you know uh, that that moment in old school where Will Ferrell is in the academic decathlon and like he just blacks out and has a perfect answer against James Carville. Like it's that I go, I go in there and just all of a sudden, like the word from the movie happens and I'm like, ah, the stuff just happens that I haven't thought about in years. But I'm also in, in the post me too era being a more mature, responsible person, like thinking about, Oh, can't say that. And, and it's not just me too, but it led to all these other discoveries of like, you know, appropriation and all this other stuff that we shouldn't be saying or doing. And, and it's like, I start to say a thing that I've said for years and years ago. Oh, I should not say that. Nobody should say that. Yeah. Right? I was gonna ask and you so about there's a that. whole lot of there's a whole lot of that when when you haven't done it for a while. <laughs> yeah, the, there's you a
3: got- lot of lines in there that as far as the callback lines go that you realize now that are like, uh, eh, that's not really nice. But you know, it, it's it's kind of where you go to to be not politically correct and just say say bad things, right? So even from the very beginning when you're zone asshole slut, asshole slut with the uh, windshield wipers, it's like we're slut shaming from the very beginning. But the women are in on it, and they're just rejoicing in this whole celebration. That's,
2: so that's kind of thing. But I'll tell you that that is a great debate within the Rocky community, right? And and definitely, you're describing what it was, for sure. We were all in on it. Every, look, I'm a Jew. I made Holocaust jokes every week at Rocky Horror, and I am not offended if someone makes one. I couldn't give two fucks. That is for fucking ever ago. Nobody is even still alive from that. Let's move past it, Right. Um, but that is just how I personally feel. There are plenty of Jews that that want to revel in in being offended by a Holocaust show because for some reason, that pain makes them feel a part of something. So for whatever reason, but there's great debate over what, what it is now or what they want it to be now. And and they're shaping it into whatever they need it to be. And the audience that's going now, that becomes the cast now, is turning it into something different. And whenever people ask me, like, you know, do I prefer the old way or do I, I think they're doing it all wrong? no. It was what we needed then. It was our show. We made it the show. We wanted it to be and new people came along and slowly, but surely it evolved into something different. I don't prefer their way, but I don't think they're wrong because
0: I'm not going every week. I don't
2: need it to be mine.
1: Can you, can we take it back a second? Like Heather, do you, do you know what they're talking about when they're, they're talking about the callback lines? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I so don't I know mean, the
0: lines, but I know the language. Right.
1: So, I mean, but a lot of people who haven't said, like I didn't understand what I was walking into and then, you know, there's this whole, thing that everybody knows like can you guys talk a little bit, bit about about the birth of that like how did that come to so be?
2: the first like is, some of this is is myth and legend but also kind of it did happen um but at the new york cast um that was performing i forget if it was eighth street playhouse or waverly i think it was eighth street playhouse um but anyway the original new york group with sal piero and and um dory hartley and and all those people that kind of incepted the the rocky horror Shadowcast experience or audience experience and uh during the rain scene when janet's walking around with the newspaper he just you know because they go to this thing every week and eventually you're going to the same thing and just watching the same thing every week it it evolves and and he just blurted out he's like buy an umbrella you cheap bitch and that was like the first callback one um (laughs) you know and and like different stuff, you know, everyone would, uh, Janet, every time she was introduced, everyone would call her a slut and every time Brad was introduced, everyone would call him an asshole. And, you know, there were a lot of common lines that, that you could go to anywhere in the country and they just had, had migrated or traveled and we're not sure where they all began. And then there were regional specific kind of lines. And interestingly, you would find So I did a tour in 2009, uh, promoting the 2010 convention that we were producing. And I toured uh, parts of 2009 and the beginning of 2010. I, I had other trips to the East Coast and like Florida and stuff. And I bookended trips with visiting Rocky Horror Casts. And plenty of people will travel and ask to like guest perform their character when they go somewhere else. I'm the only person that's ever like guest hosted the show, like as the MC before the show. And I would hear callback lines that someone had picked up from L.A., and taken back to Virginia, and they're about people in LA, <laughs> like they were inside jokes. Wow, right? But
3: people you knew probably.
2: So Janet, there's a, a part in the floor show uh, that that you were talking about. Um, the, her opening um, uh, part of the floor show, uh, where she she pauses and she kisses at the screen, just a big <clears throat> to the screen, and everyone yells, "Oh, now now the whole audience has mono!" Thanks, Janet. Right? But in LA, there was. You know, one of the guys was on the cast and at some point he got mono and a couple other people got mono because we all, you know, made out with each other slept with each other, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name was Stefan. Um, and so we started ribbing him uh, by turning it into now the whole audience has mono. Thanks, Stefan. And I went to Virginia and out there I heard now the whole audience has mono. Thanks, Stefan, who none of them know.
1: <laughs>
0: Poor <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: famous for mono. Oh, that's awful. <laughs>
0: okay, so I have a question. Considering this movie was released on my birthday in 1975, how did it transform sexuality versus a man dressed in I wouldn't even how to know how to describe Tim Curry's attire and oh, well, he's in and, like
3: fishnets and uh Right. Yeah. How
0: did it evolve sexuality in the 70s because we were still we were We were still pretty conservative. then. Rocky was
2: out in the 70s. I wasn't out until 79, but um, (laughs) of the womb. Right. (laughs) Same. Um, Same. So I don't know so much that Rocky itself evolved sexuality as it brought more of a light to things that were only like talked about in Hush Whispers. And what was beautiful about Rocky in the 70s and 80s and, and less so starting kind of in the 90s and on is, like I said, it was it was that 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 hodgepodge melting pot of where the unaccepted were accepted. There wasn't back then a lot of gay clubs or BDSM clubs and kink and, and punk and all these other subcultures. So everyone came to Rocky, right? And there was a lot of punk undertones in Rocky. There's a lot of LGBTQ undertones in Rocky, a lot of kink undertones in Rocky. And so for all these people, that was their only place to go for, you know, good 15 plus years. You know, by the late 90s, we're getting, you know, gay clubs, kink clubs, punk clubs, all this other stuff. And, and you could go just be in like the, the, the main group that you really, really wanted to be in. But your only taste of it in, in that time period, was Rocky Horror, right. at least your only like mainstream safe kind of place to go and gather was you could go let loose at this theater, which is really part of the inception of how edgy it was. Right. It was pushing sexual boundaries at the time. Right, and it it's so tame by today's standards. If you <laughs> if you look back, um, it's it's really fairly harmless. But uh, by those standards in the '70s, man, think think about because th- because remember in the '70s you still got the, the majority of people that that are you know uh, lawmakers and, and just public figures and all that stuff are people that grew up in the '50s, right? And think about a '50s mentality, and and throw in you know a man and woman's lingerie and people having multiple sexual partners in one night and, you know, a brother and a sister that are probably getting it on. You know, that's a magenta uh, and riffraff. So, you know, it uh, it was crazy back then. Now we're just like, eh, whatever. That's, that's a Saturday in West Hollywood, no big deal.
3: But yeah, but having like a, a transsexual, uh, or at least a drag queen who tried to speak like with the Queen's English, uh, Tim Curry, Yep. um th- that was actually one of the first musicals to depict uh fluid sexuality i think
2: more accurate not that now that we're debating but I think right. transvestite is the the more
3: accurate at least to the time well yeah um, they use both terms in there they're from transsexual yeah. but yeah he does call himself a sweet right. transvestite and th- the show is said to have uh, been an influence on the counterculture and the sexual liberation movements that followed after like the rocky horror show and like mm-hmm. you said it was kind of a safe place for for people to get together i remember when i started going to To Rocky, like every week, my parents were like, "You've already seen it many times. Why are you going back?" And I, it was a weird thing because it's like it, the show's at midnight, and so like when you're leaving home at ten o'clock at night and you're not coming back until like four in the morning, your parents are going to be asking questions, and uh, and I and I had to argue with them and say, "You know, these are the only people that accept me for who I am." And my parents were like, "What do you mean? Who are you? Like, <laughs> what 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 are, you, what are you telling us?" Like they thought that you know there, there was some something that they weren't accepting, and it's not what I meant, but it was like. You just feel free to explore yourself and and everybody else.
0: Have
1: you taken your parents to see it? No, <laughs> no.
3: But I but I've taken my my a uh, couple of my younger brothers and 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 their friends.
0: I do have a memory of walking in as a child and my parents watching it. So I know my parents have seen it, but I remember just walking into the room and they were watching it. I mean, that's I've never walked into the room and seen them watching porn, but I've seen them watching. it you know?
3: I don't recommend that, by the way. <laughs>
0: experience
3: I, I, I saw a friend uh, the other night who told me that her first experience with with rocky horror was watching it at home on tv like with her with her parents and her dad would shout the callback lines at the uh, screen and she's like what are you doing he's like no that's just what you do and he taught her like some of these like vulgar lines i mean she wasn't a teenager it wasn't like a little kid
1: what about the uh there's like a, there's like a a cartoon that plays every time like beforehand right like isn't is there like some uh,
2: yeah, okay so that, that was just a, an la new art theater gotcha, thing. that, gotcha. that was okay. um so you either saw mouse wreckers mouse wreckers. Uh, which is the two mice like screwing with the cat yep it's a very famous cartoon um or um uh rockabye bear was my favorite of the
1: cartoons that and they played. those all had callback um, lines too correct yes if i remember that's... correctly
2: we did everything like to the craziest <laughs> degree. Like there were callbacks to the cartoons. We would act out the cartoons before yes. the movie that we were acting out, um, and then we started doing other movies. Right, At, uh, we we broke the seal on that in either '99 or 2000. And and the only thing anyone had ever done to that point was Rocky Horror or the very very rare shock treatment, the sequel to Rocky, and doing the whole shadow cast treatment to that. And then we're like. Ah fuck it. Let's branch out. Let's try something new, right? <laughs> and it, we got so inside our own heads about this too. The the first thing that we did was um Grease 2. And we're like, well, we can't do Grease 1 cuz it's on Broadway, so like they'll get us someone'll find out and we'll be in trouble. Like nobody would have given a crap that we showed showed <laughs> Grease on the big screen and jumped in front of it and did our thing. But that's what that was in our heads. So we did Grease 2, which is a terrible movie, but super fun um and well, cheesy and, campy spirit, and, and amazing in the spirit like, of what
1: you're doing right and you picked yeah, a, <laughs> another you know movie. we wanted it to be
2: musical <laughs> we wanted to be something and then but then we did clue uh, and clue became its own thing it was perfect even though it wasn't a musical it's the perfect camp and tim curry's in it and all this we were always looking for connections i had to be a musical or I had to have someone from rocky in it and then we eventually did like we did uh, Crybaby and Super Troopers. But Clue is a like, great movie. Yeah, Clue is awesome. And and uh, Jonathan Land, the writer director, came out and Colin Camp, who was um, Yvette, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and other cast started doing Clue. We were the first ones uh, awesome. at, at the New art, And then like there were all these Clue screenings in Chicago and and uh, New York and all these other places. Uh, Rhode Island, RKO Army. Um, doing clue. And that became the longest running other thing besides Rocky that was shadow cast um, because there would be annual clues all over the place um, until Paramount just decided they, they got some new legal guy that was like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable with this. There's got to be a rights issue there somewhere. Uh, we're not gonna let you do it anymore.
1: Oh, um,
2: and and so for, I, I you know, probably ask about it these days and see if they care because I'm sure nobody that worked there five years ago is still there. Um, but to the the point of when we first started doing it and we did Grease because we were worried we were going to get in trouble. We did Grease 2 instead of 1, and and then we eventually it it happens.
1: Can we we talk about the circle fucking... Real quick.
0: The circle I mean the virgin, fucking. The, about the, the de-virginization?
1: At <laughs> the very beginning. A, what? I, was, I called it a circle fucking. but It, it, it you, was you a circle it. It, That is accurate. It's, yeah. just,
3: it's just kind of a dry humping of all of the virgins that you bring up on, on stage. It's, it's a ceremonial uh, de-virginization to welcome you to the, the show. Now, does
1: that happen everywhere? Or is that a new art thing?
3: Some version of it
2: happened everywhere for a very long time um again you know we learn and we grow and we mature and and you know realize some things uh nobody does anything like that anymore
1: uh, yeah um, i don't think you probably really? can but oh. i mean it was it was i <laughs> got you know take 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 how i called it out the, the circle fucking out of it it was it was a funny thing so we would here's, here's what yeah. we would do please explain uh, heather um, the look
0: of terror on all... my face right now after this <laughs> <laughs> like what
2: <laughs> Just know that, that many men and women have shared that look of terror. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we would identify uh, in the, during the pre-show all the people that were the virgins, the first timers, and we would bring them bring them up for a giant devirginization. And so we would gather them all in front of the stage, um, and then cast members and regulars and anyone else that wanted to run up uh, would all run up and and get into a like interlocked chain in front of them, and then surround them. And then, on the count of three, just start basically like jumping up, it was humping them, but really it was jumping up and down in front of them. <laughs> well but, well grunting. You know, there might have been some humping. Well,
1: well um, yeah, some loud grunting. yes, yeah. very yeah, it's uh, loud
2: grunting and everything. And so it was this weird, <laughs> awkward, funny,, uh, you know, way to to welcome them into the group um and and then to say that we took their virginity, quote unquote, um and, and then it was you
1: get a certificate from that unauthorized guy that so were I got you, a certificate from
0: were you circle fact
1: yes yes i was so was it a pleasurable went, experience i went you? with a, a bunch of, of of friends right and um he, as soon as they call up for for virgins you know uh, of course all my friends start shoving me up that way i don't i don't, I don't want to go but now i'm being forced to go and then somebody from the cast like grabbed me and pulled me up there and yeah, uh, it was, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. But then all of a sudden, when the cast is like surrounding you, like dry humping everybody and grunting, you just start laughing. Like it's it was the funniest thing yeah, ever. because that took you by surprise. <laughs> now, it actually got worse for, for a couple
3: people, for a very select a few. There was always one guy and one girl <laughs> that was selected for a, uh, what they called the virgin sacrifice. And they would put the guy yes. on his back.
2: We would do like a, some kind of a contrived contest that was like, always super sexual in nature um, and getting perfect strangers together to compete uh, as a pair to to win That's or just right. the best best yeah. male and best female or whatever. Um, so the common one is the fake orgasm contest, have them fake out an orgasm. There's always a comedic twist to it, um, you know, like uh, what Jason or I would do hosting at the New Art is first we get them in line and just uh, ask them, we're going to play a little game. It's called Who's Your, who's your Daddy? Right, so I just want to ask you a simple question: What's your father's name? And go down the line and get their father's name right. And they don't know what's coming, um, and then uh, we'd go, "Okay, great. We now we know their names. Like, so here's what we're gonna have you do: We're we're gonna have you fake an orgasm while screaming out your father's name. Right? And everyone's like, "Oh, no, that's so terrible. Right? They're grossed out. awkward. And, I'm, and 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 you know, my little my twist was, no, 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 that's disgusting. I don't want you to think that you're having sex with your father because that that would be terrible and very illegal." Um, here's the thing when you were like, you know, 10, 11 and you walked in and daddy had mommy bent over, was laying some pipe down. I want you to pretend you're your mom <laughs> having sex with your dad, screaming out his name in orgasmic lust, Right. And then, so it's a fake orgasm contest,
0: child, or, or have them being an orgasm. As
1: See, <laughs> right? It's a shame that, you know, we, we can't enjoy like comedy like that it was really funny (laughs) it was a really funny experience yeah i'm I'm sure dave chappelle has some thought
3: so so whoever uh wins like the whoever is voted like the best guy and the best girl the the guy lays lays down on his back and people like grab his his arms and legs and the 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 girl has to like straddle him basically Mm -hmm. and they jerk him up in the air so he's like slamming up against her and you know they're making these big grunt noises and stuff so
0: basically isn't that like soaking sexual assault that that or or soaking what do you mean soaking you don't know what Soaking no, no. soaking is um I guess it's big in Mormon communities now where oh they boy. just lie oh, on top of each other oh. where the man the boy and the girl lie on top of each other and then the other people jump on the bed so as long huh. as they're no get it, out of here that's yeah not no as uh, Anthony's looking it up Are as you, long as there's no like,
1: Mormons, like they're creative
0: as long as there's no like <laughs> pin penna- I guess I mean I guess as long as you're not like thrusting it's technically not sex no, and then and when the people are jumping on the bed that gives the motion of sex and that's called that's soaking fine.
1: well okay so according to urban dictionary i was uh, today's
2: years old when i learned what soaking was <laughs> after <laughs> years in rocky horror
0: well, i'm glad i could teach you something <laughs>
1: To place your penis in a girl's vagina and not move in and out. So somebody else has to do. Jumping on the bed. Oh. (laughs) So someone else is doing the work for you. All right. Well, let's get back. I want to
3: talk about the music in the film. So there was a lot of different tracks, right? Starting off with a science fiction double feature, which is a song that in the film... Uh, You see uh, Patricia Quinn's lips. Those are her iconic lips in the beginning of the film, but you're hearing the voice of Richard O'Brien. So that, right off the bat, lets you know that there's going to be some kind of like weird sexual um, gender bending going on, right? And the lyrics in this... Uh, are talking about all kinds of different like science fiction and horror films from like I don't the past think anyone decades.
2: watching knows that though. That's a deep cut, knowing that it's Richard singing and Pat's lips. Really? Um, but I, I don't think anyone. Like, I mean, yeah, sure. Like once you become a, a devotee and like you you know look into all that, but I think like an average audience person would just come and see the lips on the screen and think that that's the lips of the woman singing. Yeah, I think and it's a woman actually. A woman.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But but the lyrics are actually really cool. It, it mentions all kinds of like. Horror and science fiction films from like the '30s to '60s, like the the Day the Earth Stood Still, Flash mm-hmm. Gordon, Invisible Man, King Kong, it came from Outer Space, Doctor X, uh, Day of the Triffids, uh, When Worlds Collide, Forbidden Planet, and it also basically gives you the entire plot of the film. Like when they say uh, mm-hmm. see androids fighting Brad and Janet, like it, it it tells you ahead of time what to expect,
1: which is kind of neat. It's as yeah, confusing
3: as the plot itself.
1: You know, I, I looked over onto Heather's screen earlier and uh, like she said, it, it was like cast. And I was like, I don't remember Carl Weathers or something. No, She's Stallone looking up the, and, the Rocky and, cast. And I was like, you're looking up Rocky, not Rocky Horror. This, it- that,
2: that, so that is my, my first exposure to Rocky came from that mistake. Really? Um, I uh, was seeing this girl in high school and uh, Cassandra and she... Um, invited me over to her place. She said she's hanging out with her best friend, Tammy, and she's like, we're watching Rocky. And I'm like, I love Rocky. Like, I want to come over. So I go over there, and it's the time warp, and they're dancing on their coffee table. And I'm like, wait, what? Um, and, and I'm like, wait, is that Wadsworth from Clue in drag? <laughs> I was very confused.
1: That, is, that um, is awesome. So
2: needless to say, they had to remedy that situation. They took me to the Rialto in Pasadena for the Halloween show, uh, dressed me up as a Transylvanian, and it was all downhill from there.
3: Yeah. So, the, the songs from the Rocky Horror Picture Show were actually really good, way better than the film itself. Right, So you got songs like uh, Time Warp, uh, Damn It, Janet... Touch a Touch Touch Me.
2: Papa Tootie is a good one. Yeah. Everyone for, like puts that to the side because it's
3: just Eddie and he's a little side piece no, of the story. It's but
2: one of the best, one that, of the most upbeat that's ones. That's the most high energy song in, in the show.
3: Yeah. That, sweet Tea in that, but yeah. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Uh, Well, so that's the one that uh, that Loaf sings. So for those that don't know, Meatloaf, the singer, is actually in this film. The and one he plays who Eddie. would
0: do anything for love but right. won't do that. But he <laughs> wouldn't do that. He, yes. he did it
3: in this film. So in the original stage production, uh, there was Richard O'Brien as uh, Riff Raff. He was also the the writer. Tim Curry as a Dr. Frankenfurter. Patricia Quinn as Magenta. Lil Nell as Columbia. Charles Gray as the criminologist. And uh, and Meatloaf is Eddie. He actually did join the uh, the theatrical uh, cast. And then for the movie, they used a lot of the same cast, but uh, the studio insisted that they use uh, American actors for the leads. So that's why we got Barry Bostwick as Brad Majors. Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss. And uh, and Peter Hinwood, he wasn't. Uh, was he? American? He was a model.
2: Yeah, he, he was wasn't even an actor or a nope, singer. He was a model, um, and actually, uh, it's not uh, not him singing. Yeah, it's a guy named Trevor film. White. Yeah, and Hinwood was bent about that when
3: he found out. Yeah, well, I mean, he's an underwear model, so he uh, exactly. He got the show. He's got like off eighteen
2: abdominal muscles.
3: Yeah, <laughs> way too many. It didn't do well. Actually, when they first released it theatrically, it made like a million and a half dollars. It was seen as a flop. Uh, And it's only because of the midnight screenings that it's actually been playing for 46 years. And it's grossed like $170 million, which is a lot. So a movie
0: that was a flop is now like a a cult icon.
3: Yeah. And and the reason that they even got to play it during the midnight screenings is because 20th Century Fox, who produced the film, they had a new policy that made archival films available to any theaters, like at any time. And so theaters were able to rent it and show it, and they just kept on doing that. And then recently, in uh, 2019, when Walt Disney uh, acquired Fox, uh, they started withdrawing the archival movies uh, from the theaters. Um, but they made an exception for Rocky Horror Picture Show, so that one still gets to play. And on Disney Plus, they actually have the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Not here, but like in uh, in no, the UK.
1: I was going to say Ireland. I have not seen it on Disney Plus. <laughs> while what this scrolling means. through Disney Disney Plus, what does that mean?
3: Frankenfurter is officially
1: a Disney oh no. princess. <laughs> that's, that's really good. You find her in the uh, the Enchanted Castle, right? That's yeah. Perfect.
3: That has her own. Critics didn't even like the film when it first came out. There's a guy named Bill Henkin from Variety who thought it had campy hijinks, but the film seemed really labored. People liked the stage production, but they thought that the film was lacking charm and dramatic impact. It was tasteless, plotless, and pointless, and just overall. Critics did not like it. So, the fact that people wanted to see it, they're right. But it did really well on on video. It was on a Super 8 VHS, DVD, Blu ray, and now streaming online. But uh, yeah, so let's talk about the the cult following, right? So, people started seeing it. And for some reason, what do you think it was, Bernie, that made people want to go back week after week after week? It wasn't the movie. It's
2: um, the acceptance and the freedom that they felt uh, is intoxicating to any young person, right? finding yourself a place that you feel safe to you to let loose or experiment or, you know, whatever, uh, opportunity to reinvent yourself. It's, it's, you know, uh, for some people, it's just like the art people that were, you know, wanting to become performers and artists and creators and things like that. It was a place that they could go and, and get a hand in that it's all of those things. It's, it's very, very classic common tropes the things that we're all looking for when we're maturing as teenagers and becoming young adults and we want to find ourselves and expand and you know do all that stuff and it was edgy and fun and you know it was all those things right Yes, that's, that's what that's what drew and kept people coming back it was not the film it wasn't the music it was the experience and then the community and a sense of belonging
3: yeah i actually really enjoyed hanging out with the people like a lot of the, the first timers and the regulars and also the cast members after the show ended at like 2.33 in the morning uh, A lot of us would walk a couple blocks away to a restaurant. It was like a Danny's, It was called Dolores's and we would hang out there for like a couple hours. Oh, right? Dolores's And I've thrown it back. Yeah, and, and so there were people that were um, very inappropriate with each other but you know it was very much uh, accepted they were just you know a lot of vulgarities uh, I brought my brother when he was a younger teenager. He was probably like maybe 14, 15 years old. And I remember there was one guy that was like sucking on his ear and stuff. Like people, yeah, very <laughs> that was inappropriate. Probably Marty. No, that one wasn't. <laughs> it <not>. turns out. <laughs> that one was my it kid. Turns I know. Out, I read about it turns out. It turns out
2: that that guy was a sexual predator. Who I knew? know. Well, oh, yeah.
3: I, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've told them about Marty. He
0: told us about Marty. I remember. I
3: remember. <laughs> I remember huh, you knew?
2: Well, we all, look. Like where there's smoke, there's fire, right? (laughs) Like we couldn't prove anything, but like we had some suspicions. And certainly if, if a kid looked clearly below the 18, look, there's a lot of things that, that I look back at that. And, and I don't want to say like I full on regret because I think we did the best we could with the knowledge we had at the time. And I don't, I do, I absolutely hate like looking back at history with today's lenses and, and, and judging people or things. Right. they didn't know better. You can't expect them to have acted differently when they didn't have the knowledge and understanding that they have today. But that said, uh, there were certainly some things we, you know, gave us the heebie-jeebies. And so one of the ways that we played that was if someone, if we knew that they were definitely for sure over 18, or they looked like they were over 18, we weren't the fucking police. It wasn't our responsibility to be doing anything about that, but we did want to have a safe environment or at least as safe as it could be at the time. Um, I look back on it, and go, Ugh, and a lot of things, but, you know, if someone was very clearly not of age to make their own decisions, like we would make sure that, that, you know, we kind of jumped in there and, and, and discouraged any kind of, you know, flirting or anything like that. But if someone we knew was 18 or whatever, and, and somebody was just in their lap flirting, we left it to them to be an adult.
1: Yeah. So did you save uh, Connor's brother? <laughs> <laughs> No, well, that... clearly not. <laughs> if his if his fifteen
2: year old earlobes were getting suckled, well, yeah, you know, that was I mean, probably that's... my. My responsibility. One. That's the first
1: move, right? You just go yeah. and start sucking on somebody's ear. That's well, my move. I, I,
3: I, I think it's because he, he fell asleep, and so when you fall asleep, people do like inappropriate things to you.
1: I've never fallen asleep and woken up with a man sucking on my ear. Well, but consider yourself I, I lucky. I hang out with the wrong people, I guess.
3: So I mean, that's if you fall asleep because it's like you know two in the morning and you're tired. But the cast would do other things, like they would like grab a whole bunch of people and they'd walk up to you and they would all shout at the same time, "Wake the yeah, fuck up!" I just saw that. just yeah. to like you know s- scare you. And they would shout mean things like um, during uh, one of the, uh, the early songs over at the Frankenstein place when people either have like their lighters or flashlights and they're just kind of like when they're talking about, you know, there's a light. Yeah. At one point in the song, uh, a few points actually during the chorus, when they say in the darkness, you're supposed to turn your light off. Everyone does that at the same time. And if you don't know, you're just having fun. You're waving your flashlight around and they say in the darkness. You see everyone else do it but you're one second too late everyone's like darkness motherfucker people got really really mad that's also it's funny you bring that line up because preceding the in the darkness we would yell
2: the callback where is stevie wonder Uh yeah yeah, everyone would yell (laughs) in the darkness which is uh ableist humor um There there was
3: another stevie wonder callback line i remember Yeah,
2: it was uh, it's when they're in the elevator in between uh, uh, sweet transvestite and the lab scene Mm -hmm. um, and they're going up a few floors and there's a quick like, you know, they're in between floors and it's all black. Yep. And they go, oh, it's Stevie Wonder's dressing
1: room. Don't worry, he can't see it either. That was kind of the magic of it for for me, like walking in and seeing like so you guys described it pretty well uh, as far as like you didn't see high school and like college guys that, you know, were wearing Letterman jackets. It wasn't for the quote-unquote popular kids, right? The, the, oh, for, we made fun of those guys. Yeah, it was for you know the kids who were more artistic. So there was there was a, a, a like a, a genuine acceptance, but there was like a huge snarkiness too to it, and like just kind of both of those levels it, were, were so much fun like just walking in as an outsider and being accepted and then being told to shut the fuck up and get up in front of the the stage and get fucked by cast members (laughs) was, (laughs) was just so welcoming.
2: Here's the thing, right? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of what Connor said earlier is everyone was in on the joke. Even if you were new, like you were very quickly, like understanding of, of the environment that you were in. Right. Um, and you had to be like, okay, so I'll back it up and go, obviously, we didn't know as much about like people on the spectrum and some of those things that we know about now. Um, but you had to be pretty, you know, not able to comprehend situations at all in real life uh, to not know what you were walking into at Rocky Horror. Like just being in line is very, very clear is a very sexually charged environment, very free environment. You know, people are walking around with like pasties over their nipples and that's it. You know,
3: there's other people walking around with lipstick just to put mark a V on your forehead. Yes, Yes. we were writing.
2: We didn't even ask permission. And if you said no or we're uncomfortable, we gave zero fucks about it. We still wrote a big V on you and lipstick (laughs) unless you were like so uncomfortable you were going to throw down. Like that was the the, that was the line. I think
1: (laughs) that was the guy, the guy who who put the V on my forehead who asked me if I'd seen it before, you know, because I'm a pretty large guy, you know, so I think he was he was (laughs) waiting to see if I was like gonna be cool about it because he like did it and then he was kinda like oh is this guy gonna hit me and I was like oh shit that's funny and I just started laughing they're like okay good we can fuck with this guy that's yeah. good but yeah. you know it, again that that experience and, and that was the most intimidating part I think was getting in line and you're like holy shit what did I just walk into and then you get inside and you just feel the energy and it. it was just a, a blast
3: yeah just people running up and down the aisles in their underwear and doing all kinds of uh, you know dancing into the music that pre-show was a lot of fun
2: it, you know, I, I can't say half of it anymore on stage, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> there was, there's actually an opening rant. So I would start with uh, Carlin's seven dirty words. You can't say on television, just to shock people. Um, and I'd say, guys, that was, that was very tame. Um, and then we'd say, uh, but, you know, look, um, we're we're equal opportunity offenders here. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody is offended and go through this whole rant of saying like the worst thing that you could say to that class of person. So black, white, Asian, Jew, women, straight, gay, we would have have a thing. And I would kick it off just by saying, uh, if you're this, you will be offended, right? As a warning. And the audience would yell the incredibly offensive callbacks, right? Um, and Everyone was fine with it. Nobody was offended, or at least they never said anything about being offended. And they all kept coming back, so clearly they enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, and you always started the night off with The Rules, which always got back, fuck the rules. Yep, fuck the rules, and this person fucked
2: the rules, and look how they turned out. (laughs) You know, and all that kind of shenanigan there.
3: So years after Rocky Horror was released, and it was already like a cult classic by, you know, 76, 78, uh, in 1982, Richard O'Brien made a sequel, right, called Shock Treatment. And it's not really a sequel. It's, I guess, more of a spinoff because it's, like, not even the same characters. It's got a lot of the same actors. Brad right?
2: and Janet are the only common characters, but there are many common actors except for Brad and Janet. That's right.
3: It's everyone except <laughs> yeah, them. Patricia enough. Quinn's still in there. Uh, Richard O'Brien's still in there. Little Nell, uh, Charles Gray are in it, too. But, yeah, you're yeah. right. Brad and Janet are, are the main characters again. And for some reason, they're different people. And they're, like, they're, they're unknown. The movie, I think, is is worse. The entire thing takes place in, like, it's all filmed on one sound stage. It's a really weird story. But the music is actually better. If you think about it,
2: though, Richard O'Brien was ahead of his time. It was kind of proto-reality show before reality shows.
3: Right. It was like the Truman Show before uh, we knew what it was. So it's all about, like, consumerism and reality shows and our obsession with it all. I I guess I haven't seen it lately. Last time I saw it was in Vegas during one of the rare Shadowcast performances. They called it shocky Horror. And uh, it was a convention. You know, they used to do a convention every year called RockyCon that we'd go to. Yeah, they did uh, Shocky Horror, which was fun. And you've done Shocky Horror, Which one was that, about 2005? No, that was probably closer to 2000.
2: Okay, yeah. So then you were at the 25th anniversary, which was... The the two that were in Vegas in that time were 2000 and 2005. Okay. Um, So it was the 25th. And then uh, Cirque du Roquet was 2005, the 30th.
3: You know, the one thing I remember about that is we stayed at the the Four Queens, appropriately. And... um, (laughs) Everybody checked into their room and they had a view of uh, Fremont Street and they opened up their window and they took their Bible right out of the uh, the dresser and threw it right into the the street, which (laughs) I I don't condone that. Like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Bible, but like that's just everyone's, you know,
1: what if they were sharing the the... The Bible with people who may want it? It
0: was the city of sin. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs)
2: The uh, that evolved into when we would go to other places and, and didn't have, you know, Fremont Street to throw them onto uh, <laughs> is is just gently sliding them outside the room and leaving them. But when when the Rocky Con started, it, you know, when you got to the hotel, if you had walked through uh, the hallways, you know, after the daily cleanup, but before the next day, it would just be bibles on <laughs> all over the floor of of the hallway outside of every room in the block of rooms that was the rocky people
3: uh see where else have i seen it outside of vegas obviously the the new art theater i've seen it at uh, winnetka um been to dallas new york chicago uh, san luis obispo phoenix so i've probably seen it in maybe 10 different cities and I'm sure you've been to, to even more of them because you, you said that you used to uh, tour with the show, right? Anytime I went somewhere
2: for a thing, if I was going to be there on their Rocky night or if I could arrange to be there on the Rocky night, I would make sure to go to that show. Um, but arrogant as I was back then, I was not interested in just absorbing their show. I had to be a part of it and become the star of it for the night that I was there. Um, so I guest performed like everywhere in the country.
3: Wow. See, I was just in the audience. And so the part that was fun for me was getting to say our LA callback lines in in another state and hearing some that I had never heard before because it's that's one way to get some variety in it. And so you can bring that stuff back. And now you're the cool guy in the LA theater. (laughs) If there is a cool guy there.
2: We were edgier though. LA was edgier than everywhere else. And, And whenever I went like they'd, they'd all be working from largely the same base script. Um, With a few things here and there, but I only ever adopted someone else's line a handful of times. I couldn't name what they are now, Um, but there was like two or three. I was like, oh, that's fucking funny. Um, I'm going to take that back and be the funny guy now. But for the most part, I was yelling as loud as possible, destroying my voice um, to like dominate the callbacks and yell the L.A. ones. And because they never heard them and we were definitely edgier because, you know, a lot of the creative people that were coming up as kids and stuff uh, starting off, maybe at Rocky before they went on and did things they were very creative and very funny. And so I'd be saying this stuff that I just hear every week. And, and they're sitting there like, what the fuck is he? What? Like, definitely we pushed the boundaries harder in LA than, you know, Southern Virginia.
3: Yeah. Did you know which callback lines were like the regional ones versus the ones that everybody used? Cause like, if, if you've no, only you just hear see a reference or
2: something that that you like knew was something around there, and you're like, oh, okay, I get you, I get you.
3: Right, right, right.
2: But you know, or or a person that was big
3: in that community. You had asked uh, Heather about the uh, Frankenfurter's outfit, that wardrobe with the the fishnet stockings and the glitter and the colored hair and everything. That's said to have contributed to the punk music scene of the 70s and 80s, because that came around oh. before that time too. And so, so yeah, so it's kind of become like a big part of like our cultural, you know, pop culture here in in America and I guess all over the world. You know, like I used to have a a T-shirts from like the different casts and everything. And something cool that happened, uh, I guess not that recently, uh, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. So that was in 2005, I guess, for the uh, 30th anniversary, right? And uh, Library of Congress called it culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Wow!
0: I know they keep remaking it. So, what is everybody's opinions on the remakes? Like, I know they just did one with Laverne Cox, and
3: so yeah. So they remade it. um, I I think in like 2015 they did some stuff for Glee. They did a TV version uh, by Kenny Ortega, who uh, directed High School Musical, and he did like all the the Michael Jackson Mm -hmm. music videos, and this is it. And um, some people like it. I actually went and, and took a tour of the castle. Um, it was called uh, Casa Loma in, uh, in Canada. I think it's in uh, Toronto. And, uh, and it's a beautiful castle. And they filmed a lot of stuff there. They filmed X-Men there. And they filmed the, the Rocky Horror remakes. That was cool to see. But if you're doing a, a sequel... You know, you really got to make it your own. I don't know if uh, if it can like relive the charm that that they kind of came up with. Uh.
0: Well, does the movie have charm, or is it the ambiance when you're in the theater watching it? Like, I feel like I'm getting. You're going to enjoy the movie better when you're surrounded by a bunch of people versus in your living room.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, you definitely go there for that. You go for experience. the gangbang. but yeah, but uh, but yeah, the, the the movie itself is. Um, it's one of those like it's not super well done, but like if you remake it with all the the flaws, it's not as fun because they're doing that intentionally. You know,
0: Okay.
2: most of the remake, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. The Glee has some fun to it. Like I love hearing different people sing those songs. Right. But the remake was just like a lot of bad decisions um, and just like why. Right. Just as pure, you know, so like like it was just a pure like cash grab marketing stunt. Um, And I just think it was poorly cast, right? Laverne Cox was bad, really bad as, as, as what, you know, whatever we wanted, Frank and Furter, like we're holding up to, and, and, you know, we're holding them up to the, 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 you know, huge iconic Tim Curry performance. Laverne Cox was, was bad. That was a bad casting choice. So low energy, and and just not what what we needed out of Frankenfur, having nothing to do uh, with with uh, their identity and and sexuality, any of that stuff. It was a bad performance. Um, you know, I I, I wanted a, Adam Lambert was Eddie in that one. Adam Lambert would have been a fucking fantastic Frankfurter. Agreed. And I would have been there for every second of that and eaten it
0: up. That right? was going to be my next question. If you could cast a remake, who are you putting in?
2: Oh, we used to, like, wax poetic about that all the time. It's been a very long time. I can't even think of, like, real good current people that, like, I would do that with. No, I've got it. Um, e-
3: Emma Stone is Janet for sure. Um,
2: Emma
0: Stone is always your go-to. No, Emma, Emma, Dude, Stone
3: as, like, Emma Stone as, like, Magenta or
2: Columbia, not Janet. That's fine, yeah, that's but better. not wholesome enough Bernie, for that. That's the, better. Okay, yeah. uh, uh, Much better. But, but, um, but she's always Grant Gustin, who is the Flash in CW as
3: Brad. That's a good Let's call. See. Okay, not Tom Holland, huh?
2: I Tom Holland, sure. They're kind of the same archetype. Um, but Grant's like taller and and gawkier the way Barry Bosswick was. He just kind of invokes Barry to me. Uh, Justin Bieber is Rocky Horror.
0: See, I would. No. What about Very Billy cool. Porter? Could, <laughs> no. could Billy Porter be a, a Frankenfurter?
2: You know what? I, I this is gonna be this is gonna sound really funny. I would go with you know, who would be riffraff? Benedict Cumberbatch
1: that would be fantastic the cheap okay that'd be fantastic
2: right like Like just looking and just the yeah
3: um that's that's uh, really good yeah
2: you know you know who is beautiful and looks really dumb and would be a great rocky although i don't think he well no actually also is a fantastic blonde
1: (laughs) henry cavill Uh, Uh, a blonde from the uh from the witcher yeah Yeah. Yeah. very underrated as superman by the way that's all i'm gonna say very
3: Totally agree. Really, I thought everyone loved him. Um, I don't think.
1: Oh, so. well, I th- just think the ladies love him. I think people don't love like them. DC movies. Yeah. Yeah. Janet, Janet, Brie Larson. Okay, oh, I can Done. see that.
3: It's perfect from, from Community.
2: Looks like <laughs> a younger, Me?
1: sexier Susan Sarandon. No, actually. who am I thinking of? Brie, Brie Larson is Captain uh, Marvel. Captain Marvel. Marvel.
2: Captain Marvel. Yeah. Oh, I, I just like can't her. think. I can't okay. nail. it. I can't nail a goddamn Frankenfurter. I was like, gonna like, say, right who's your Frankenfurter? Ah, it's so hard because, like, I think part of the shock value is. Is, is, you know, um, seeing a straight man in drag or and not necessarily straight, but seeing a man in drag is was supposed to be part of the shock value of Frankenfurter and and kind of fitting the technical definition of a trans uh, transvestite. But that that kind of leaves off some inclusion and things like that. But really, for me, it would just be about the personality. It's got to be somebody that like is a peacock. Who's somebody right?
3: fun that everybody loves that would love to see in any role?
0: Owen Wilson.
3: Uh, okay. <laughs> how about like a john how do we feel about john yeah no (laughs) you're still thinking about it though
1: bernie i can see it i can see a little certain uh (laughs) nicholas holt Uh, nicholas Um, holt is a fury road guy right uh
2: he yeah he's in that he's in uh he was tolkien in the in the tolkien film he's in that um, that's right the one where he's the zombie um I forget what it's Warm Bodies, Warm Bodies. He's in that. He's beast in the most recent Fox X-Men garbage films, but he was great. Um
1: Envy <laughs> uh, uh, Adams, by the way, just so it doesn't drive me insane anymore, is uh Bree Larson's character. In there the you go. Envy Adams, yes.
0: Mm. <laughs> okay. See, I would I would want to challenge it and go like a very masculine man and have him push the boundaries and stuff out of his comfort zone. But so
2: <laughs> Keegan Michael Key.
0: Oh my god, I have the biggest crush on him. I do. I have the biggest. Cra- oh, or, uh,
2: I forget his name, but he's in. Um, he's in that the Zoe's extraordinary mixtape show, and he was in the the first two, uh, Pitch Perfect movies. Skyler. Oh, Astin. that
3: guy. Yeah. Uh, how about Russell Brand?
0: Oh, Russell Brand, maybe.
3: Could he be a Frankenfurter? What about Scott Eastwood? So irritating, Eastwood. though. Oh.
0: <gasps> Give me Scott <laughs> Eastwood in some fishnets and some and a garter belt. Yes, I I, I, I vote for Scott Eastwood.
1: I knew exactly. What was gonna happen to Heather when I said Scotty? Give me
0: some Scotty Swid.
1: David Tennant also could be a great
2: Frankenfurter. Yeah. Uh, Okay.
3: That'll work.
0: Part of the fun of acting is be getting out of your comfort zone. So I'm gonna I say Scotty Swid. Let's challenge him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is a beautiful man right there.
3: I'm I'm down with that. Well, Bernie, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. All about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If people want to know more from you or your big uh, cosplay events and parties and karaoke, where can they find out more?
2: Uh, you guys can catch me on uh, all the socials uh, at the Geek Gatsby or at Nerds Like Us. Um, and then for the big kind of uh, fandom nightlife events, it's uh, XLE productions for all the fun uh, nerd nightclub party stuff.
3: Awesome. thank you, Bernie. My pleasure. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora.
0: If you're looking for us, you can find us on Instagram at madameshoes, H-E-A-U-X-S, and gigolos.
1: And if you like the show, please help us out by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with your friends. And uh, thank you for listening.